Hi, Ben Convey here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the studios of 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. This week, we're going to be talking about the question of rebuilding working class political representation in Australia and around the world. He had this frustrating ability on occasion, just when you are really frustrated with a particular decision he might have made, to do something unexpected and generous and personal. From the time when my mother passed, he, um, he was uh, very sensitive to that. I said this to him, but he also said, and I explained this conundrum of his frustrating behaviour, he just smiled at me and said, I'm sure I'll frustrate you again. And he did. It's a very tough day for Mr Abbott. I say to him, to Margie, to his remarkable daughters, that we wish you well. Mm -hmm. To Mr Abbott's personal staff, led by the formidable Peter Credlin, you've served the boss loyally and according to your code, and we recognise this. And in conclusion, I just say to Mr Abbott, I had the privilege of, uh, on several occasions, being with you when we would address serving men and women of our defence forces, and what I thought was remarkably humble of um, the member for Warringah is he would frequently introduce his remarks to them and say, I've never served. And he was conscious, I think, of this, even disproportionately. And what I say to Mr Abbott is, you have served. I don't think you need to uh, judge yourself any less for not having actually worn the uniform of this country. You have represented and been the Prime Minister of this country. That is service indeed. That was Bill Shorten, leader of the Australian Labor Party and federal opposition leader, giving tribute to Tony Abbott after his recent ousting as Prime Minister. Are these the words of a political leader whose purpose is to fundamentally fight for the interests of working class people today? Does anybody, especially young people today, have faith in the idea of the Australian Labor Party as a party for and of the working class. I decided to ask around, so I talked to a variety of people aged between 18 to 35, most of them identifying as working class, and all but one of them was from Australia. One of the first things I asked these people was whether they felt there was a party today that represented their interests, and if so, which party was that? Uh, the, the closest thing to it, as far as my political knowledge goes, would be the Labor Party, but then again, they seem to have similar ideals. Oh, their projects seem to be either similar to Liberal, and Liberal seems to me to be the party that doesn't stand for the working class. So if Labor's heading down the same path as them, then I can't consider them someone who stands for the working class either. Um, the Greens, I guess. Because um, whatever policies I've seen from them in my very minimal political interest, um, sit well with me and like, I just agree with a lot of their policies. No. <laughs> no, not currently, I don't think. Yeah, I think they're all quite old. Even the Greens, not entirely, they don't entirely grasp all of the issues that are important. Yeah. Really, for me, as a woman, it would be equality and I don't think that's handled at all by any of the parties very well. I want to say no, and it's that whole thing that the, the separation between like the Liberal Party and the Labor Party 
isn't really that great and it's getting to a point in the political kind of area where everyone's kind of shifting more towards not really caring about the lower working class people. Well, I'm glad that people are taking notice of our campaign where we're challenging the agenda of austerity. Austerity which has led to greater inequality in our society, greater poverty in our society, and now a budget and a welfare reform bill which will deepen that, impoverish more, more children in large poor families. Surely we can do better than that. Surely the Labour Party can do better than that and offer a real economic alternative which is about expanding right. manufacturing industry, expanding our economy and a welfare state that eliminates poverty and the gross inequality that exists in Britain today. That was Jeremy Corbyn, the new self-identifying socialist leader of UK Labour Party. Corbyn was brought to power within the Labour Party on the back of a movement which saw hundreds of thousands of young and working class people inspired. Inspired by his ideas about socialism, about fighting back against endless austerity that both the major parties had been pursuing for years. These thousands joined the Labour Party to vote for him to be leader and now that he is leader, Corbyn and his supporters face the challenge of how best to tap into that energy and enthusiasm of this influx of thousands of people to rebuild a workers' political party capable of fighting for the policy he stand, policies he stands for. This is not a straightforward question when the vast majority of the party machine remains Blairite and when he must face off against constant attacks from the establishment media. There are really no figures even close to Jeremy Corbyn remaining in today's Australian Labour Party. With that in mind, it is perhaps very unlikely that a mood to push for an anti-austerity political platform could develop around Labor. Instead, many of those who would seek a renewed working-class political movement here might focus their hopes and energies outside of the Labor Party. One such figure is Irene Bolger. Bolger is remembered for her role in the militant nurses' union battle against the Victorian Labor government in 1986. She is currently on the executive of the Labor Coalition Party. Bolger is one of a handful of key figures involved in establishing what is currently a minor political party. On their website, they describe themselves as once avid ALP supporters who seek a new avenue to express their displeasure and demands for a better life. Bolger said when talking to me that her decision to get involved in the Labour coalition was born out of frustration at the political situation in Australia. She talked to me about what she describes as Labor's gutlessness and their shift away from working-class politics? Uh, I, think, I think they're gutless in a way in that they've given away the hard bit about trying to look after workers. And, and workers now, it's not, a, it's not a, uh, an area where I think that they think they feel now that uh, they should be dealing with. And I do think they're looking more to the middle class and maintaining that. And, uh, and it is a class issue as far as I'm concerned. I know nobody likes talking about class, but we do have a class. <laughs> we do have classes in this society, and I think that they're looking, Labor have moved more towards uh, small business and, uh, and corporations. What the Labor Coalition are talking about are things like protecting um, penalty rates, for instance, which I see as being under attack and they will be. They're not. They're, there's been talk. What they're doing is introducing uh, little bits about penalty rates just to try and soften everybody up. And unfortunately, I don't think the Labor Party at this point is necessarily going to protect them because I did notice that uh, Mr Shorten recently told the uh, said that the unions should have some discussions with small business about the difficulties and the problems with workers. And I think that 
it might be that uh, the Labor Party might be prepared to have discussions about reducing penalty rates. Uh, so I, and the other big issue, I think, is um, Section 457 workers who, uh, there are a lot of them in Australia now, over a million, I think, and they're not being paid a proper wage. And I think that this is all undermining the current conditions of workers. And I don't, I don't think the Labor Party has uh, necessarily got the workers' best interest at uh, heart anymore. I do think they're prepared to negotiate uh, certain conditions away, and so I saw it as a the Labor coalition as a an alternative where we would fight very hard to hang on to, <coughs> pardon me, to hang on to what workers have actually got. Irene Bolger there of the Labor Coalition Party talking about what she sees as the failings of the Australian Labor Party and the key issues facing Australian workers, and we'll hear more from Bolger shortly. Stick together. 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 You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. So once again, on Stick Together this week, we're looking at the question of rebuilding working class political representation in Australia and around the world. So let's return now to the question of politics in the eyes of younger people. Again, I spoke with a range of people aged 18 to 35, all of them Australian voters except one from the UK, and almost all of them identified as working class. I asked them whether they saw the Labour Party, in either Australia or the UK, as a party generally for the working class. Um, I'd say no. Um, I mean, they were meant to be a party for all the unions. I mean, that relationship is quite fraught to begin with. And then number two, the unions, even if their relationship was good, are quite messed up in whether or not they are representing workers' rights anyway. Um, so I think internally they're messed up and the things that they're meant to be associated with are also messed up. I don't, I don't think they're really addressing issues that we have today. Like, I haven't really heard about them, so I don't know what they've done. Yeah. <laughs> they seem to be quite similar to Liberals. They're cutting, they're increasing attacks or something like that. Something that seems not very helpful towards the working class person. It seems only to benefit, you know, maybe the major corporations or big businesses. It doesn't seem as though everyday people are getting a fair go. And yeah, I guess I'm have been quite uh, disenchanted with parliamentary politics for quite a few years. I'm guessing, I'm guessing like the UK Labour Party would have been years and years ago the uh, sort of a deep working class party. Obviously, that is not the case in the last few years. Um, but with the uh, with Corbyn's um, victory and becoming head of the Labour Party, and like people are flocking towards the Labour Party. Yeah, it seems in the UK context, at least uh, with Corbyn, um, it seems a much more exciting an urgent time than it did before for ordinary people to 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 feel represented and to feel part of something uh, much larger than than themselves i just think we weren't clear enough about what is austerity because what is austerity really about it's about reconfiguring our society in the mirror of the wealthy getting wealthier, the poorest getting poorer. Why are a million people using food banks? Why are there so many people sleeping on the streets? Why are there so many people begging? Why are we now debating cutting benefits still further, knowing full well the devastating effect that will have on the poorest but people? You, 
Socialist UK Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn there again, talking about austerity. Australian workers have not yet experienced the depth of austerity on the scales seen in some European countries since the global financial crisis. In my conversation with Irene Bolger, former nurses' union leader and current executive member of new left-wing minor party, the Labour Coalition, I asked what she thought about the prospects for a Corbynesque resurgence of pro-working class anti-austerity politics here in Australia. Hopefully we can uh, interest a lot more people in how we would like to even things up here because it's, we're heading towards that same situation here inexorably. It's been going on now for some time, but it is getting a lot worse. And uh, so there needs to be an alternative for people here. We are heading towards a situation where we're going to have very, very, very impoverished people. Our, and we're going to have, we've got to, well, we're at that moment at the moment, <laughs> we've got extremely wealthy people uh, who have a lot of power and they're taken a lot of notice of. And I think the parties are, you know, want to keep them on side. And uh, where we've got the underclass and the poor people and the workers who haven't got much of a voice and who are struggling. Uh, to get a pay rise every time they want to get one they've got to struggle and struggle to do it it takes months and uh, and where you know people uh, at the higher end of uh, society don't have to try very hard at all the reason this campaign is doing well because we're talking about the issues that impact the american people but the issue that i want to be talking about is the collapse of the american middle class you guys gonna write about that yeah is that an important issue the need for to create millions of decent paying jobs, the obscenity of the kind of level of income and wealth inequality that we have today. The reason our campaign is doing well is because people are responding to those issues. Bernie Sanders, who we just heard there, was the longest serving independent in US Congress history. In 2015, he became a member of the Democrats in a bid to become that party's candidate for the 2016 presidential elections. A self-described democratic socialist, he has put working-class issues front and centre in his campaign and called for a political revolution against the billionaire class. While he's not tipped to win the Democratic nomination, he has emerged as the main challenger to Wall Street favourite Hillary Clinton. Last week, an openly revolutionary socialist, Sharma Sawant, made history by being re-elected to Seattle City Council. The emergence of Sawant and her organisation's socialist alternative has completely transformed politics in that city. By using her council office as a community organising centre for grassroots movements, she's helped make major gains for working people in Seattle. The most notable is that in 2014, Seattle became the first city to implement $15 per hour minimum wage legislation, a development which is now spreading to other major cities in the US. Mel Gregson, from the Socialist Party here in Australia, spent several months working closely with Sharma Sawant and Socialist Alternative in the aftermath of her first election to council. Mel spoke to me about the miniature political revolution taking place in Seattle. I should quickly clarify two things for listeners, though. Firstly, I myself am a member of the same organisation as Mel, the Socialist Party. And second, Sawant's organisation, Socialist Alternative, bears no relation to the Australian group of the same name. Mel Gregson. Yeah, look, I mean, I had been following very closely um, the fight for 15 since the first um, walkouts of fast food workers in New York, and I'd been following very closely um, the election of Sharma Sawant, the first socialist elected in Seattle for 100 years. But I guess I didn't really fully understand the extent of the political 
change that was going on in the US until I actually went there and, and spoke to people on the ground. And I think what we can say is that uh, the American dream is definitely dead in the minds of most ordinary people that you meet in the US and they're looking for solutions to very, very immediate problems that they're facing about not being able to meet, not being able to find housing, not being able to um, pay the cost of education, um, not being able to find a job, um, all of these sorts of things, not being able to pay for healthcare or facing bankruptcy for, you know, having an ordinary illness. Um, that's unavoidable. All these types of things mean that people are really opening their eyes up to what is fundamentally wrong with the system that they live under. And that's, um, you know, a really kind of exciting time to see people starting to draw radical conclusions about what type of action that they need to take in their lives to affect social change. This is an absolutely historic moment, not only for Seattle, but for working people all over the nation and even globally. What we want here is the possibility for 100,000 workers, low-wage workers in Seattle, to be lifted out of poverty over the next 10 years. And it signifies a transfer of income of $3 billion from the richest in the city to the bottom-most workers, you know, the workers who make the city run. I would urge everybody to see what a reversal of fortune this is, because for the last several decades, it's been a systematic gushing up of income and wealth from the bottom to the top. And this is one of the first really big fight back against the status quo of income inequality and a race to the bottom for ordinary working people. It's also significant in the speed with which we achieved it. You know, I took office as a socialist, as a voice for the working class only on January 6th. A week later, we had launched the 15 Now grassroots campaign, which has been part of the backbone of the mass movement in Seattle that won this. It's also historically significant, and I think this is the most important thing people should take away from Seattle, is that the establishment the politicians and the businesses, they are not going to be on your side. Working people have to build our own power, our own strength from below. And the reason we won this in Seattle is not because the establishment politicians or the mayor were pushing for this. They, you know, what, what happened was they were pressured to the point that they could not ignore it, and 15 became at the top of the agenda. But really, the push for this, the real lifeblood of this movement, has been workers, the labor movement, socialist alternative, 15 now, and having a real fighting voice in City Hall. Yeah, look, I think one of the things that's sometimes lost in the discussion around um, Bernie Sanders and all the attention and support that he's attracting is, like, the question of cause and effect. And I think it's really important to recognise that one of the things that is attracting hundreds of thousands of people to support Sanders' bid for the presidency is his very um, radical in the context of mainstream American politics call for a political revolution against the billionaire class. That's a, radi- that's a radical statement by anyone's standards. Um, exactly what he means by that is a, is a secondary question, but that is what is attracting people to his campaign. And I think that we need to recognise that that's not something that came from Bernie Sanders himself. That's not the type of politics that he was talking about even a few years ago, I mean, he's been a, a, a social democrat for years and years, and he has, a, you know, a solid history as um, being a progressive politician. 
but he was not talking about a revolution against the political or the billionaire class a few years ago. What he's doing is reflecting a mood that has developed very organically amongst working class people, amongst young people in the US that was expressed during the Occupy movement, that is currently being expressed through the Black Lives Matter movement um, and so on. And he is recognising that there is a desire out there for more radical politics, more left politics, more serious politics that ta- tackles class questions. And I'm a, I'm a socialist and I don't call myself anything other than a socialist. I, uh, workers' rights are an intrinsic part of being a socialist. Uh, certainly the wealthy should be paying a lot more tax and that um, not only the wealthy but that corporations and I think that there's... Uh, that there's not enough attention being paid to that. They don't want to touch it. The Labor Party doesn't want to touch it. And, uh, and I think things have to be evened up. You're listening to Stick Together. And you just heard from Irene Bolger from the Labor Coalition. And before that, we were hearing from Mel Gregson of the Socialist Party. Our theme this week has been rebuilding working class politics in Australia and around the world. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. Stick together. You're listening to Stick Together on Community Radio. So one of the questions in this week's theme on Stick Together about rebuilding working class politics has been the role of young people. Clearly in the UK, we've seen huge numbers of young people inspired by Jeremy Corbyn's anti-austerity socialist bid for leadership of the Labor Party. And in the USA, we've seen hundreds of thousands of young people inspired to become politically active through the Occupy movement, the Fight for 15, and the Black Lives Matter movement. On a much smaller scale, though still significant, in Australia, we've seen numbers of young people involved in major protests against the former Abbott government, protests to demand action on climate change against our government's inhumane treatment of refugees, against the racism of Reclaim Australia and United Patriots Front, and against the threat and closure of remote Indigenous communities. So what role is there for young people in the rebuilding of working class political representation in Australia? Irene Bolger. Well, I think, um, and and that's it's a difficult thing because I know when I was very young, I wasn't particularly interested in politics myself, <laughs> and I came from a very impoverished background. Actually, I think I was spending a lot of my time trying to get myself out of that, and uh, and wasn't particularly involved in what went was going on, other than trying to get a job, keep a job, and uh, and not earning very much and keep myself going. Irene Bolger there from the Labor Coalition Party. Now, in my conversations with a range of young people for this week's show, certainly I did hear some of what Bolger's saying there ring true. But the most amazing thing I found was just how prepared almost every person I spoke to was to get behind what would essentially be a strong working class political movement. I asked these young people how they would feel if there were to emerge a major new political party that was to fight for issues facing working class people. Things like better wages and conditions at work, lowering the cost of living, of housing and transport, and expanding public health and public education. The question I asked was, would they be inclined to vote for such a party or even get involved in the building of such a party? Yeah, I probably would. Sounds like something I'd be interested in. Oh, I'd definitely be inclined to vote for a party like that, definitely. So, them Yes, absolutely, I would, be, I would vote for them. Um, would I be willing to campaign or to join a party? Um, yeah, so I guess, I guess that would be the, the next 
logical steps. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, if something was to, to come about that was kind of, yeah, representing people in a more, like, fair and equitable way, it would definitely be something to get on board with. Yeah, I definitely feel as though if a part like that were to uh, spring up, I'd definitely jump on board. Um, I feel as though that, you know, giving a party like that a go would be quite interesting because I feel now most political parties that are in power are either making life a bit harder, increasing spending on, like, so increasing saving, reducing spending. So it would be really good to see someone put forth a different idea and just throw a bit of money out there and see what people do with it and see how they, how it stimulates the economy and how it could change things for the better for the future. I think that there's there's so much political will on the ground amongst ordinary working class people for change, but what's lacking is any clarity in what type of change that needs to take place. And what we're seeing is like a really traumatic, actually, polarisation in society, and there's no clearer example of that than what we're seeing in the, the presidential race so far with, um, you know, against everyone's kind of um, better kind of judgment on, on the recent past, what we're seeing is that the extreme candidates from both ends of the spectrum are the ones that are, are polling really well and, and capturing the imagination of, of, of people following the race. So on the far right, we're seeing, you know, the kind of mad, racist or like politics of Donald Trump. And then on the left, we're seeing Bernie Sanders, a socialist and self-identified socialist, um, seriously challenging for the Democratic Party nomination um, and really causing a lot of problems for the for the Democratic Party's favoured candidate, Hillary Clinton. And I think that's a reflection of kind of people's real disillusionment with mainstream politics, people's desire for change. Um, but the reality is, I think, that a lot of us know that neither Donald Trump nor Bernie Sanders alone are going to change anything, um, you know, are, are going to be able to fundamentally change um the system and, and, the, and the, the root cause of the problems that people are wanting to see change. And I think that that's where the example of Shama and the socialists in Seattle is really, really important because what they've been able to do is not just prove that socialist ideas um, are popular and socialists are electable, but they've also given a model for how to affect social change by building grassroots movements. And that was Mel Gregson from the Socialist Party talking about socialism and rebuilding working-class politics. And that's all we have time for on this week's Stick Together. Thank you to guests Mel Gregson and Irene Bolger. And also thank you to Hope, Kate, George, Heath, Carmen, Zadeb and Lucas, who all spoke candidly about their views on class and today's political parties. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Our podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at stick.together at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. My name's Ben Convey. Catch you next time.